You know, before we get into the message, um, I just want to give a shout out to our friends. Each, each service at the 11 a.m. service each weekend, we have the Portuguese translation with our Brazilian community. And this week has given, we're so glad they're here. We need to encourage them. This was a rough week because uh, Brazil is out of the World Cup. And I am so sorry. My heart is broken. But we are here for you. We are so glad that you guys are here and a part of, of this service with us and, and a part of Impact. You know, another thing I have to be honest with you about, one of my favorite all-time video games is Nintendo Mario Brothers. I loved it when I was a kid. And I'll be honest with you, when I had my boys, when they came along, I enjoyed playing Super Mario Brothers with them. I had them sitting on my shoulders and playing it. We know some of you guys enjoyed Mario out there. Did you know that Mario actually started out as a character named Jumpman on the game Donkey Kong? And he was jumping over barrels to rescue his girlfriend, Pauline. Oh, sweet Pauline. And Mario got his his amazing look due to actually not so great graphics of the day. He got his red overalls, his hat, and his mustache, which actually were used to separate his features of his body. And in 1981, the creators of Mario Brothers, the masterminds, were in their rented Seattle office, developing ideas to take this game to a new level in America. And at this time, their landlord, who was named Mario Singali, barged into their office, angrily demanding that their rent was past due, and he was demanding the money. After the encounter, after they came to some sort of revolution, they actually felt that their landlord represented the character that they were trying to develop in this video game. And there, at that moment, Mario was developed. And then from there, in 1983, the arcade game Mario Brothers came out. And then my personal favorite, favorite, a couple years later, Super Mario Brothers on the Nintendo console came out. And soon after that, this mushroom-jumping Italian plumber developed some amazing powers. I mean, this game's awesome. And today, there's so many different Mario games. But one nice thing about the Mario game is that this Mario character always had the ability, when he made bad choices, when he messed up, to regain his strength and get a redo in the game. It's almost kind of like grace. It's like a supercharge, a life supercharge, a redo, if you, do, if you will. When we go off course, when we make unfortunate and poor choices in our life, and as the years went by, the Mario games became more sophisticated graphically and more challenging to play. And with our ever-changing, sophisticated society, it is becoming more and more of a challenge to be satisfied. I mean, honestly, in your life, are you satisfied? Even more importantly than that, in your relationship with Jesus, are you satisfied? Bottom line, are you content? Are you content? Oftentimes, our struggle is in life is often a lack of being content. In the war of smartphones, you know, between iPhone and Samsung Galaxy, 
we find ourselves purchasing these new phones each year, all excited about them, only to find ourselves one year later being dissatisfied because the latest, newest, greatest model just came out with a flashy camera, whatever it may be, and now we are unsatisfied and we need the next one. And we live in a life of struggling with being satisfied. And the same thing tends in our relationship with Jesus. He gave us the miracle of grace. But what happens when we, when you become unsatisfied with grace? No longer being satisfied with the sacrifice of the cross. In all honesty, this happens in our life more than we want to admit it. We say, Bill, that's not possible. I don't, I'm not dissatisfied with his grace. But I bet if you're honest with yourself, at some level, you wrestle with that. And did you know, in all truth, this is how sin entered the world. If you go back into the book of Genesis, when everything began at the very beginning of the Bible, there we read God's creation of everything that is. And he created Adam and Eve, and he gave them the garden. Everything was beautiful. Everything was perfect. Just imagine you are in paradise, and not only are you in paradise, but you're in paradise physically hanging out and walking with God. I mean, would that not be unbelievably amazing? And God said, you have everything in the garden, but just that one tree. You can have everything, but I just ask that you stay away from this one tree, the tree of knowledge. Everything else is yours to enjoy. Just stay away from this. And at some point in their journey, Adam and Eve became unsatisfied. They become discontent with what God provided, and they wanted more. And Satan's biggest trickery for us is that mind game. And he plays with it for all of us. And that is this. God is holding out on you. Have you ever struggled with that thought? That although you have all the blessings that God provides at some level, you feel God is holding out on me. That's what Adam and Eve wrestled with. When the Satan came in the form of the serpent and he twisted their thinking saying, Yeah, I know God has given you everything in the garden, but he's holding out on you. You see, he knows that if you eat this fruit, you will become just like him. And he doesn't want that. He wants to retain you. He is holding out on you. And so our minds get transformed from what God does provide to we thinking that he's actually holding us from more. And that's how sin then came. If you know the story that Adam and Eve, they ate the fruit. They brought sin into the world. And if you don't know the story, I urge you to go back to Genesis and just read about it. And see what happens. But being discontent often leads to poor choices, which tend to develop unfortunate consequences in our life. And you may be experiencing that right now, where you feel, Bill, I know exactly what you're talking about because I live an unsatisfied life, and I just keep making poor choices that bring bad consequences into my life. Or maybe you're thinking, Bill, I live my life my way, and I don't have any bad consequences in my life. Well, you just wait. Just wait. Because through the serpent's trickery for Adam and Eve, they were searching for better benefits. They were searching for the better perks. And just like Adam and Eve in the garden, 
you and I are in the same struggle of life, constantly looking for the best benefit, constantly looking for the best perk. But what we are constantly asking in our life, what's in it for me? I want to find the best benefit. What is in it for me? In the 1989 movie, Field of Dreams, Kevin Costner's character, Ray, was a farmer in Iowa on a quest to satisfy the voices that he heard in his head with phrases like, if you build it, he will come. And after building a baseball field in the middle of his cornfield to satisfy some old-time players in that game, out of his corn, Ray was still wrestling with the question, what is in it for me? And at the end of the movie, the baseball players invited Terrence Mann, an author that joined Ray on his quests. And being a bit disgruntled by this, Ray argued that he did everything. He did all the work. He put all the effort, the sweat, the blood, the tears, the finances, everything to make this. And why does he get to go? What is in it for me? And shortly after, Ray learned what was in it for him with the reuniting of him and his father. But you know, in life, we wrestle with that. God calls us to follow him, to obey him, to serve him. And through it all, we have thorns of life thrown at us, and we ask and we wrestle with the question, wait, whoa, 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 whoa. God, I serve you. I obey you. I do all this. What's in it for me. Maybe you serve here at Impact, and you've given financially, you sacrificially have given financially to make what we have here possible today, and you struggle with the question, what's in it for me? We all wrestle with that at some level. Through the mess of life, through the craziness of life, through the thorns we face, what is in it for me? And you better believe it that when the Apostle Paul was wrestling with his thorn that we've been talking about over the past couple of weeks in 2 Corinthians, he wrestled with that same question. And in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, Paul writes this, but he said to me, that's Jesus speaking to Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect weakness. Jesus said his grace is sufficient. But what is grace? I mean, what is grace? What does this really mean for me? And let me be honest, how can it truly suffice? How can it truly be everything I need? You know, in its most basic and most common definition, grace is unmerited favor. You maybe have heard that sometime in your journey in the past, but what does that mean? You know, to understand grace, we need to first understand the nature of God, who he is, because you will never understand grace if you don't understand God. And he has two very distinct, important parts of his nature, of what he is all about, that we need to know and understand before we understand grace. The first is this, God is holy. He is holy. Holiness means to be set apart. It means you are different than the norm. You are moving in a different direction. And because God is holy, 
He cannot have anything to do with sin. And when sin entered the world, when Adam and Eve brought sin into the world, and when we brought sin into our own life by our own poor choices, and the Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, when we have brought that into our life, we have created a massive divide between us and God. Because God is holy. And because of his holiness, he cannot have anything to do with sin with the poor choices that we tend to make. You know, as a kid, in gym class in elementary school, one of my favorite games was a game called Jump the Brook. I loved that game. I don't know if you've ever played that. What that game was, you take two jump ropes, you put them on the ground, and you had to jump over the brook. So everybody would line up. If you stepped on the rope, or if you stepped within the ropes, the brook, then you were out. And so what would happen is everybody would run up and jump over, and as everybody would complete their turn, the, the brook would widen. And it would just continue to widen and continue to widen and continue to widen. And before you know it, we thought in elementary school that we were Olympic long jumpers. It was awesome. But you know, oftentimes in our relationships, we do a similar thing where we create divides. Because we are unsatisfied, <clears throat> we make poor choices that cause a divide in our relationships. And we just create them bigger and bigger and bigger. And you know, when we sin, that's what we do with, to, with our relationship with God. Because of our own poor choices, we separate, we create this massive divide between us and God. And before you know it, you cannot jump the brook. The same is so true with our relationship with Jesus. Look what it says in Isaiah 59 too. But your iniquities have separated you from your God. Your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. I don't know about you, but that verse scares me. That by my own choices, I have created a separation from my own uh, self with God that he is no longer near. He does not hear me. Now, some would say God is unfair, that God, just let us enjoy life. Let me make my own choices, do my own thing. I mean, why can't I just do that and enjoy your grace? You know, as a sports fan, I have watched many great games, and in some of the most intense down-to-the-wire games, I sometimes struggle with a fan-based complaint to the refs, just let them play the game. And sometimes I'm the one screaming that at the TV, to be honest. Have you been there? I mean, the heart of this complaint is that we don't want a close penalty call to determine the outcome of the game. What do we want? We want the players to determine the outcome of the game. But if you think about it, you don't want the refs to disappear. You want the game to be fair. You want the game to be called correctly. And we tend to give God a similar complaint in our life. And that is, God, just let me play this game called life. Don't dictate my choices. Let me enjoy life. But while we say that, we want to live life our way, yet receive the blessings that he provides. The problem is, God is holy. Life has rules. It cannot work out the way that you want it to work out. 
And just like in any relationship, you cannot make choices that hurt the other person and just expect them to go on like nothing ever happened. Life does not work that way. Relationships do not work that way. In any relationship, we need to learn how to properly act to please the person that we have a relationship with. And in the Old Testament, God gave us the law which revealed us how to live in a way that honors him. But unfortunately, no one could keep up. Following the law just did not work. What the law revealed is that I can't do this on my own. I can't please God. I can't create this brook to, to soften. I can't to take away the divide that I created by my own poor choices. God is holy. And the other side of God's nature is God is love. God is love. In 1993, the song what is love hit the airwaves? And you guys are going to be singing it all day long. I'm going to help you out. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. Don't hurt me. No more. Come on. You guys are all going to have that stuck in your head. You are so welcome. But ever since that song came out, we have asked the question, what is love? I mean, what is it? In all reality, love is a triangle of three equal sides. To have a healthy love in a relationship, it has three equal sides. One side is passion. Passion is the thing that draws you to that person, that entices you to them. The other side of the triangle is intimacy. As we talked about a couple weeks ago, intimacy is that ability and willingness to be real, to be open, to be honest with the other person. And the bottom half of the triangle is commitment. That is, okay, when everything else is falling through, I made a commitment to you. And even if passion has faded, even if intimacy is not as strong as it used to be, I made a commitment and I'm going to follow through on that. If you have three equal sides to the love triangle, you will find a healthy relationship built on love. That is needed. But ultimately, love is built on sacrifice. Putting others before you. Sacrifice is saying, you know what? I am willing to put aside what I want, what I feel I need, what I feel I deserve for what is best for you. That, my friends, is sacrifice. That, my friends, is the reality of what is love. And it is written in 1 John 4, 8, whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. You want to know God? You need to understand love. And if you don't understand love, you don't know God. That's what that verse is saying. It's saying that God and love are synonymous with one another. You cannot separate them. They are one and another. Despite what pop culture really wants, us, wants to portray to us, God's love is revealed through all, throughout the Bible, not just in the New Testament. All throughout the Old Testament, we see that God is love. He reveals his mercy time and time again. And the greatest way that, that love was revealed was Jesus on the cross. And as Jesus carried the cross through those crowds on that day, he was beaten and he was broken. 
And as they drove the nails through his hands and through his feet, and as he hung on that cross, the crowds heard him say, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. That is the reality of love. On the cross, love was revealed. And here's the struggle. Within God's nature, there is love and there is holiness. And they just collide together. There is a war within God's nature because he needs to satisfy both parts of his nature, his holiness and his love. You know, in downtown Pittsburgh, we see the confluence of three rivers as they merge together. You know, the Allegheny River and the Monongahela River come together to form the Ohio River. And oftentimes, when you are standing on Mount Washington, you may see these two rivers come together as in different color variations. Have you ever noticed that? Did you know why that happens? The reason for this is that what lies underneath those rivers. You see, the composition of the riverbeds are actually different. The Allegheny River is rockier and more sturdier in its, in its, rock, in its bed in the bottom of the river. And the Mon is softer and siltier, and it's more easily disturbed. And the second factor is when it rains, all that runoff comes into the rivers, bringing in sediment and feeds into the turbulence of the rivers. And so what happens is it brings up, and you see these two rivers coming together. It's intriguing to see how these blend, the blends of the rivers just form the Ohio. And God's nature is very similar because it is a collision course as his holiness merges with his love. And in some way, God had to figure out, how do I satisfy my holiness? How do I satisfy my love for all mankind? Because God is holy. He can't just let everybody walk on by. Because God is holy, he can't just say, oh, you know what, forget it. I'm going to come and to hang out with you. Because God is holy, and because of God is love, we found grace. This is what brought Jesus along. Jesus is the representation of God's love. You know, going back to the complaint of God being unfair, I think we need to answer that question. Is God fair? Is he? You know, to be honest, I don't think he is. But God's not unfair to you. He's not unfair to me. He's actually unfair to his own nature. Jot that down in your notes. Because of his love, God is unfair to his own nature. He had to find a way to sidestep his holiness, to satisfy his holiness, so that we could lessen that divide, to bring, take away that divide. And God had to satisfy that as sin separated. And but through his love, he provided that bridge. And that bridge is grace. And Paul wrote this in Romans 5, 8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
you got to notice something about love as represented in that verse. First of all, love is revealed in sacrifice. We've already talked about that. That Jesus came to us and died for this. But don't overlook another very important component to this verse as the revelation of love. Because love is proactive. Love does not wait. Love makes the first move. While we were still sinners. He didn't say, ask for forgiveness. He didn't say, make your life right. He said, no, I'm coming to you. And I'm going to free you. Because I am love. You know, years ago, I was in a church meeting, a different church than this, and, a, and when an argument was going on. And I will never forget, in the midst of that argument, someone talked to, was saying something to the other person who felt they were hurt and saying, you just need to forgive that person. And the other person's response was this, well, they haven't asked yet. My friends, that is not the reality of love in action. Love is proactive. Love takes the first step. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He gave us his grace. You know, in the workforce world, to gain employees, employers provide a comprehensive employee package to attract and to retain their employees. And many of these packages has, has special perks like health care, retirement plans, and so forth. So young people, when you are job searching, one of the most important questions that you can explore and ask is, what is the benefit package? What are the perks of having this job? And I think it's fair to say, in terms of God's what God provides, and what the world provides, it's a fair question to ask, what are the benefits? What's the perks of all this stuff? Well, you know, jot this down. The world's benefit package is based on what you earn. That's the world's benefit package. And in the Old Testament, we learn that the law reveals you obtain what you earn. And as much as we try, we can never fully satisfy the commands of the law. It's almost like you're trying to swim against the current. Have you ever tried to do that? Going in a river and trying to swim upstream? Uh, Swimming against the current takes a lot of energy with very little progress if you make progress at all. Look what Paul wrote in Romans 6, verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, in life, we tend to think we earn our way, but we cannot. The Bible says there that the wages of our own effort, the wages of our own choices is death. You know, death comes in two forms. In its most basic understanding, death is a separation of two things. And so when we die physically, physically death we will face at some point. When we die physically, our bodies, physical bodies, separate from our soul for all eternity. Every one of us will face that, unfortunately. But when the Bible talks about death, it's talking about the spiritual death. And the reality of spiritual death is being separated, your spiritual soul separated from God for all eternity. And what the Bible's saying is you do not have to face that death. You have a choice. You don't have to go down that path. And when it says, for the wages of sin is death, in other words, 
by your own poor choices, you are creating a divide. And by what you earn, that divide may last for all eternity. When we try to do life our own way, satisfying our own desires, all we're doing is swimming upstream right into destruction. And you may be thinking, Bill, my life is going fine, and I'm living life my way. Like I said earlier, just wait. You may think you have it under control, but like we talked about the other week, you don't control. Soon, our poor choices will bring destruction of some sort into our life, hurt and pain and disappointment. But due to God's love, he provided a different way. He provided a gift, and God's gift is grace. And grace, like any other gift, as it is offered, at some point you need to accept it and take it as your own. Jot this down. you got to see this. Grace is God's benefit package. His benefit package is all about grace. And in Galatians 5.4, it's written, you are trying to be justified by the law, have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. In other words, stop trying to justify yourself by what you think you can do, what you feel you can earn, because you're going to miss out on grace. Rather, just come to Jesus. Just come to Jesus. His grace is sufficient. His grace will suffice. Grace is getting the opposite of what we deserve. We, by our own poor choices, deserve death. But God gives life. Gives life. Grace is love in action. What God gives is that life. The benefits of grace is, is we have that life, and not just life, but life more abundantly. When we're broken, when we're confused, when we're beaten down, grace is what fulfills us and what honors us. Sorry, there's a bug flying around me. And grace is what fulfills us and brings us whole and makes us better. Grace reveals his love and who he is and what he's all about. Grace gives us strength in times of hardships when we're beaten down and broken and confused. Grace gives us the way, and grace is everlasting. It does not end. You want to find joy in your life? It's found in grace. And many times our struggle is not that we don't want grace. We do. I believe everyone sitting here at some level in their life wants grace in their life. The problem is we tend to want grace on our own terms. We want God's blessing while we live life our way. This is called abusing grace. Take note of this. Abusing grace is willfully making choices opposite of the heart of God. That's abusing grace. Abusing grace is knowing deep down what the right choice is, yet we still choose our own path. Sometimes we do this because we, have, we believe that, you know what, God is love and he's going to forgive me anyways, so I can do what I want tonight and ask forgiveness tomorrow because God loves me and he has grace and mercy. Or maybe we think, well, God is love and everybody's going to heaven anyways, Right? And before you know it, if you are not careful, this leads to our hearts becoming hardened, and then we don't even know that what is right and wrong anymore. 
And look what the Apostle Paul wrote about this in Romans, at the end of Romans 5 until Romans 6. He wrote, The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more. So that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live, it, live in it any longer? And, and a few verses later in Romans 6, Paul writes this. For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. In some way, we all have a master. We all serve something. And oftentimes, what we serve just holds us hostage It's almost like an addiction that we just cannot get enough of. And we just keep going back into the poor choices over and over again. But through grace, we have been given the chance to be free. But know this, freedom is never free. It's never free. 1 Corinthians 6.20 tells us that we were bought with the price. The, the price was paid on Calvary, on that cross. We were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. Honor God with your life. When you buy something, you become the owner of it. You make the rules for it. We have become indebted to Christ because of what he did on the cross. But the question we need to ask ourselves is, do I live in a way that brings honor to the sacrifice that he gave? Do I live in a way that honors the sacrifice that he gave? Do I respect his sacrifice? Do I respect what he did for me that day so long ago? And does this respect lead me to honoring him, honoring that sacrifice, living a life that honors him day in, day out? I'm going to do my best. I will make mistakes, but I'm going to do my best to live a life that brings honor to his sacrifice. You know, he served us. The question is, do I serve him in my life, whether I'm on a ministry team at Impact, whether I'm serving him out in my community, however it may be, am I serving him in such a way that honors him? Have I become a hoarder of his hope? I love his grace. I love what he provides me. I love the hope, but I want to keep it to myself. I don't want Impact to grow or whatever the excuse may be, and, and, and I just keep it to myself, or am I sharing it with every possible person I can reach it out to? Or maybe you're sitting here, And you've never accepted his sacrifice. You've never accepted his grace and allowed his sacrifice to transform you, to transform your life. You know, after speaking about not abusing grace, Paul writes this about coming into a full relationship with Jesus. In Romans 6, he writes, Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in death in a death like, the, like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that our body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. You know, Jesus is not looking for believers. 
He's looking for followers. People who will give that him their entire life, who will live for him and follow him, who will come into a full relationship with him in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. You know, I want to invite Melina over here. Melina is someone I am so proud of and seeing God move in her life. And she was actually our first baptism here at, at this new location. So Melina, if she would come, and she would love to share her story with you. March 26, 2016, two years ago, something happened that changed my life. I went to Impact Church for the first time. My grandparents are really the ones that I have to thank. When they moved in, they asked us to start taking them to church, and it was possibly the best thing they could have asked for. Before I started going to church, I didn't really believe in God. I rarely went to church as a kid. At first, when I started going to Impact, I still wasn't really sure about if I believed in God or not. Going to church felt like something I did because my grandparents wanted to go, and it wasn't something that I would voluntarily do. I didn't think of it more than that for a while. But there was a point in my life where I got extremely depressed around the time my grandma passed away. For a few months, I just had all this pain and sadness built up inside me, and I didn't express my emotions. I couldn't sleep at night, and I couldn't make myself go a full day without being extremely sad. So, so much in my life had happened that just built up inside me, and I was so depressed. One night, I was laying in bed crying because I had just let all these bad things build up for so long. That night, I talked to God. I told God that I needed him. I had, an, I had heard in church about how amazing he is and how he saves people. I told him that I needed him, and after that, things started to change. I started going to youth group at church, and I started to get less depressed the more I talked to God. God used to seem so impossible to me, but the more and more I went to church, I couldn't deny him anymore. Every time I stepped into church, I felt his presence and love. I've met some of the most amazing people through this church, and I was the first person to be baptized at the landing when it first opened. I'm so proud to belong to such an amazing church with such wonderful people. It is amazing how just through going to church every week, God went from being something I didn't believe in to being the most important thing to me. I'm so proud to be a Christian, and I'm so thankful for everyone at this church. It took me 15 years before I believed in anything. I just thought that when we die, we die, nothing more. But as I went to church and youth group more and more, I couldn't deny the truth, the truth being that Jesus died on the cross to give us eternal life. Now that I'm a Christian and I'm baptized and I read the Bible and believe in and love God, I'm a much happier person. My whole life, I always felt like there was something missing from my life. And finally, one day as I was in church, I realized that God was what had been missing from my life. I'm just so proud of Melina, and I know there's so many stories just like that here at Impact of God transforming lives. What about you? 
maybe you're saying, Bill, I've given my life to Jesus. I've been baptized. I've, I've committed my life to him. But if I'm honest with myself, I've been abusing grace. I've been living life my own way. I've been making my own choices, doing my own thing. How about today be the day that you recommit to him? Saying, okay, God, I am sorry trying to abuse your grace. I'm sorry that I just felt you're going to forgive me tomorrow. Today, I want to live for you fully. I want to live every day in a way that honors the sacrifice you gave. Make that commitment today. Stop being all wishy-washy with him. Be real with him with the life that you live. Or maybe you're sitting here today and you're like, Bill, I've never experienced that grace before. I've never experienced the fullness that grace provides. I've never given my life over to him completely and allowed him to transform my grace or my, my life. If that's you, maybe today's the day. Today's the day to come and meet him fully in his death, his burial, and his resurrection to be baptized, to say, God, you are my God, and I want to follow you fully. I want your grace to transform my life. You may be saying, but I didn't really come prepared to be baptized. I feel God prodding, but I didn't really come prepared. Well, that's okay because we're ready for you. If you feel God prodding on your heart to make a decision like that today, Will you come and meet me at the bottom of the ramp when we sing this last song? Because you will never know love without knowing grace. God loves you desperately, and he wants to transform your life. We have towels. We have things for you to change in. Don't use that as an excuse. Let God transform you today and experience his grace in a whole new way. Let's pray.